sick this week. Um, a couple weeks ago, Linda and I went to uh, Camp Spofford. We, we weren't here. We were at a place called Camp Spofford. We go to every year. It's great. There's uh, food. Other people cook for us and clear our dishes. And we have a little cabin. And there's water sports. And we sit around doing nothing but talking with friends and family. Um, and it's a really, it's a really great camp. Uh, and we go to it every year. So uh, this year, the people who are, who are in charge of our, our week uh, are, are new. And they are a, uh, a younger couple. Um, and they have, they have some kids. But uh, they're made up. The, the wife is an eldest child of six. And the husband is the fifth born of six. It's sort of like oldest and youngest. Um, Married, and so when a new new families come every year, and they wanted to introduce this new family uh, to everybody, and the new family had three kids, so uh, in order to make the kids feel welcome, in particular, uh, they told the, the wife gets up and, and says, "Can all the ten-year-olds go say wave hi to the kid's name was Dante? He was a ten-year-old. He was their old. He was the new the new family's oldest, and then the husband who is." Leading, he says, "Can all the younger kids wave hi to?" I don't even remember the little kid's name, but and and that was it. And then they just left it there. And the middle kid was right there, nothing, just ignored. And I just thought that was that was sort of apropos, you know, oldest, youngest, youngerest. Forgot about the middle child. Um, and that's kind of what Isaac is like. And reading through, uh, it was really hard to separate what Isaac does or is from who Abraham and Jacob are. We know the saying, it's an exodus, when God tells Moses out of the burning bush, he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Isaac's just sort of like slotted right there in the middle, as in, you know, you're transitionary. Well, here's an important person, here's cool narrative, here, then, then there's Isaac in the middle. Um, and so he kind of gets put in these, he doesn't do a whole lot. And so I'm not going to cover his whole life today. We'll look at chunks here and there. Um, but there's nothing he particularly like does as an action, like this is, this is, this is what I'm doing. I'm, he's not Abraham. I'm leaving Ger to come to the promised land. He's not Jacob. I'm going to fool my dad, and then I'm going to go, and I'm going to work a certain number of years, and I'm going to have this conflict with my brother, and I'm going to wrestle with God. None of that, no cool things like that happen. Um, and one of the kind of the themes, though, is, is thinking about that is that Isaac shows us some faithfulness. He is not the complete promise that, that God gives him. We'll, we'll get into this a little bit more. But he's part of the journey, not really knowing where it's going, but he's part of the journey. Um, so... I'll try to, in drawing the insights, with all these passages, it's really easy to say, oh, and also there's this insight, but it deals with Abraham. Or there's this insight, but it deals with Jacob. And I'm going to try not to do that, because then we could go down a lot of rabbit holes. So the first kind of chunk I want to cover is the fulfillment of the promise. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 18. And we will read the whole part of this section. This is really the only chunk we'll read in full for time reasons. And I'm very sorry. Normally I'm an ESV guy, but my study Bible is NASB. So 
it's going to be slightly different. Genesis 18, starting verse 1. Now the Lord appeared to him, him being Abraham, Abram, by the oaks of Mar, uh, Mamre, while he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. And when he lifted up his eyes, he looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant, and he hurried to prepare it. And he took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them. And he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. And Sarah laughed to hear her to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men rose up from there and took down, looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them and sent them off. Actually, we'll, start, we'll stop right there. Um, so this is backing up a little bit, and I don't want to step on whoever is doing Abraham this summer, so we'll, we'll be careful there. But most of you guys already know, in Genesis 15, God gives a promise to Abraham. He promises that his descendant, he, he can count the stars. His descendants will be uh, more numerous than the stars. And uh, so Abraham's getting old now. And this has to be a, a bit of a disappointing situation. It's going to be pretty hard to have descendants, as many as the stars, if you have no children, as it turns out. Um, so along comes this, this more specific promise. Narrowed it down. So we started big picture. You will be a great nation. Narrowed down to you will have a son in a year's time. And uh, Sarah and Abraham find this believably, incredulous, um, but it does happen. And so first thing uh, I wanted to note on that was that they decide, so transition to the story. Um, first thing that happens, and we'll, we'll skip some chunks. We go through Sodom, we go through Gomorrah, we get to rescue Lot. And then we get to chapter 20, and I'll skim this because there's a lot to cover. Um, we have the problem with uh, Hagar. <clears throat> so Abraham and Sarah decide, well, doesn't look like this is happening. This is not working out so well. 
God, you promised us something. Clearly, we need to help things along. So, uh, Sarah gives her handmaiden Hagar, um, and 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 most of you guys know where that's gonna uh, where that ends up going. Um, and so, you have this you have this problem is they've they've lost faith. They don't see where God is going. Um, and then Isaac does come. We get to chapter 21. We get the good news. Yay, they have a kid. Uh, but now you have this problem is, well, we had um, uh, Hagar and her son. Why, why can't I remember? I wrote it down. And now, Ishmael, thank you. Thank you. I was like, it's right. Why does it keep saying Hagar? I can't find his name. Um, <clears throat> so, more problems happen, and, and God eventually decide, look, takes pity on Hagar, even though Abraham and Sarah throw her and Ishmael out, and even gives a promise to Ishmael that, that he's going to raise up a great nation. So I did like, uh, like most people uh, do, is, I, is I, like, I look up the cross-references for all the, the different parts in the Bible, and there's a great passage in Galatians. So if you can, we're going to take a big detour. Go to Galatians chapter 4. And this is Paul's kind of commentary or interpretation of the Isaac story, the Isaac and Ishmael clash, and what it means, and what it means for us. And it's a little uncomfortable at times, I think, when, when we read it. Um, I got to read through Galatians in Greek class in college, and my atheist Jewish professor was of the opinion that this uh, Galatians was pretty much the reason why Paul was um, an idiot, to, to put it to put it bluntly. He just he didn't understand the Old Testament. Um, he just he took huge leaps of logic. He must have hated the Jews, even though he was one. I didn't quite get why that was her point. Um, so let's I'll read this real quick and then we'll discuss. Starting in Galatians chapter four, verse twenty-one. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondswoman and one by the free woman. But the son of the bondswoman was born according to the flesh, and the son of the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children, who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren women, do not rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And your brethren, and you brethren, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondswoman and her son. For the son 
of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. And there he's quoting directly from Genesis chapter 21. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. Open. Yeah. No, it's not flattering. Um, thoughts on how much can we read? Thoughts on thoughts on Paul. Like, like Paul, we know Paul is inspired from the Word of God, but but do we buy on his faith? Like, is that an okay reading? Is that a good reading? Is it applicable? Yeah. <laughs> Can I do that with the rest? Because later on when we talk about the ram and the thorns, I have apparently an interpretation that I couldn't find other people thought of, which I thought was really obvious. But. <laughs> yes. Okay. Matt. Question for you, Matt. Um, <laughs> um, uh, a Galatians question is: Did the view? Did the Jews have a pretty negative view of Hagar and Ishmael? So it seems like in the Genesis narrative that that God has pity on on Hagar and Ishmael, and she feels like he's going to die, but God provides for them and, and even promises Ishmael will become a great nation. Um, is Paul feeding off some, like, anti-Hagar sentiment? I doubt it. Um, I don't think so. I think you're, you're very uh, correct in saying what the Lord provides for him. Is, uh, he calls himself the God who sees. Hagar sits down in the wilderness and she's crying. Um, and so in her eyes, if she can see a God who will for her, and it's one of the ways the Lord redeems even uh, the sinfulness of man, but 
Mr. Babbitt. does still link it to the way that God is fulfilling promises. So in verse 28 in Galatians chapter 4, and you brethren like Isaac are children of the promise. So there is still a connection with this Old Testament and now we're talking about this, this arc of God gives a promise and he fulfills it. Maybe not in the way that we immediately expect, but in a way that still keeps his promise and still Someone like else like to read Genesis twenty two down to verse fourteen, one through fourteen. Mr. Babbitt. Now the new thing that God kept with Abraham and Sarah. 
So, great passage, classic one. Um, before, I have a couple of thoughts, but I wonder, does anyone else have any interesting, anything jump out at you? <clears throat> Mike. I am not Rob. <laughs> I, am not. <laughs> I was looking. <laughs> <laughs> you were hoping for something. <laughs> uh, there's an interesting parallel here that I've, I've noticed before, and the fact is that in Abraham's mind, Isaac was as good as dead for three days. He traveled three days uh, before they got to the place where he was supposed to offer him as a sacrifice. And uh, in that respect, I guess it kind of explains why in, in the uh, gospel where uh, the rich man and Lazarus are described as... Uh, their separate, uh, you know, dwellings after death. That that Lazarus is comforted in the bosom of Abraham, as if Abraham were God. Abraham's a, a human being who actually experienced what the death of his own son would feel like, and suffered through it for three days. Uh, the same way that that God turned his back on uh, Jesus, and he was in the grave for three days until he was resurrected and glorified. Anyway, that's just the... That's a great... I didn't notice the, the third day connection. That was good. Uh, Andrew, you shifted uncomfortably when you said Abraham's bosom. Oh, you know, there. Uh, part of me was thinking, I always wonder if Abraham actually does expect uh, or isn't sure what's going to happen with Isaac. He says, uh, stay here and we'll go and worship and then he will come back. So I think there's that Isaac is going to come back, whether it be expects a resurrection or expects God to intervene. Could we be like the donkeys or something? 
Oh, no, no, the donkeys are the donkeys are left. They leave it with the servant, right? Yeah. I don't doubt it might be possible. Um, no, no, it's it's an interesting uh, interesting thing. I Isaac's Isaac's role in all this. He kind of seems uh, almost in the background as well. Yeah. But he kind of goes along. What's going to happen to me? Dad. Uh, so we've got a knife, we've got fire, we've got wood. This is one key element. Uh, so I, I think it's interesting, his, his perspective is just, all right, what's, what's going on? Yeah. He, he has a great deal of trust in his father. Linda. Um, I've heard most of people of questionable theological origins over the years sort of question, like, well, how could God do this to Abraham? Like, was he really up in heaven, like, wondering what would happen? You know, maybe it Abraham would have gone through with it. And I've always thought that, um, I heard someone say that, you know, for someone to offer up their child in this time would have been second nature. All of pagan nations were doing this; it would have been expected. And until this episode, you know, in the in the Jewish story, there was no way that they would have known that God wasn't like this; that God wouldn't require from their children. And so, this would have been a very it would have been very natural for Abraham to think this would be an okay thing for God to ask, and that this would have been a very vivid beginning of that. You know, God is not the God that wants child sacrifice, which we know from other places in scripture that he reports. So this would have been a really a really different path for them. Rob. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see what it's like to call you what you didn't put your hands on. <laughs> so I, I think Abraham is is uh, you know, the promise to Abraham is through Isaac. Oh, okay, I have the Hebrews one, too. Um, no, because we're going to get there. <laughs> Teresa. Okay, um, I was wondering if anybody has seen any kind of um, friend communication between Abraham and Isaac after this incident. I mean, would Isaac have some type of resentment towards his father? Yeah. Interesting, so we'll see later is, is Abraham sends a servant to go get Isaac a wife, which I suppose is probably not uncommon in that time period, right? No, okay. Um, yes? Can I add one thing? Because you know, it's supposed to be about Isaac, not Abraham. Yeah. Because if Isaac was obedient to the point of death, if he was not a little child at this point, mm -hmm. he was probably in his early 30s. And so it would have been very easy for Isaac to overpower Abraham and say, this isn't going to happen. But he didn't. Yeah, that segues perfectly into um, two, I don't know, I don't want to call them like analogies, allegories, symbolisms, because I feel like it's always murky water. But I like to do that because I'm, I'm a literature person. Um, so the reference in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 11, 
starting in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back. And my, my translation says, as a type. Um, what does ESV say at the very end of verse 19? Just curious. Okay. What is it? Uh, I have the note there. Figuratively speaking, yeah, or literally in a parable. Okay. Um, yes, exactly. So that's the really obvious common one that that Abraham is, and this is where a lot of our discussion has been going: is that Abraham, God, Isaac, Christ, sacrificed. Um, and, and that's, that's the analogy and the hope that, that he would be raised again. And there's the symbolism that he might come after three days, which is a really great catch. Um, any further thoughts on that? Well, at this point, if he's really, oh. sorry, no. <laughs> if he's really around 30, and he's also around twice eight, and he's really like being obedient. Yeah. And we're going through with it. Matt. Full disclosure, this is total speculation. Um, but it's pretty I'm about to do that. So. It's pretty good <laughs> speculation, um, and it's, a, it's an interpretation um, that holds some sway. Um, in Genesis 22, verse 2, the Lord tells Abraham to take his only son, whom he loves, and to go to the land of Moriah and offer him there the burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall be. We have no idea which mountain, but we know that it's in the land of Moriah. Uh, the only other place that the word Moriah land of Moriah shows up in the Old Testament, uh, or anywhere in Scripture, is in 2 Chronicles chapter 3. It says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. But the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornon, the Jebusite. Um, so the speculation is, it's at, least in, it's at least in the same area that the Temple Mount is there. And the, the other speculation I've heard is this. Jesus was taken just outside the gates of the city to this hill of the skull. Uh, and perhaps that's the exact same place. Either way, it's the same region that is later associated with temple sacrifice. And it, is, it says at the end of uh, Genesis 22, uh, the Lord says, uh, oh, where is it? So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Till what day? And, and what will be provided? And on what mountain? There is some line of thinking that connects this temple mount to God's provision for his people. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a good way to connect it, as we're already doing with Christ, who is the ultimate sacrifice. Thanks. That's really cool. So, now time for some speculation of my own. Um, <laughs> So, <clears throat> this was actually not, until I started studying this, um, I'd, heard, I'd heard that before, but I didn't know that it was so clearly outlined in Hebrews as like, yeah, this is a way, interpretation. Um, the one I saw it is that uh, I saw it as Isaac is the church, and the ram in the thicket is Christ, substitutionary kind of uh, atonement. 
Isaac uh, is, is set to be punished, to be slain. Um, he doesn't have a choice in the matter. Uh, but then the lamb, or the ram, or whichever, uh, steps in. Linda pointed out to me on the car ride here uh, the, that it's in the thicket, sort of like the thorns on Christ's head. Um, that, that was the one that, that, that jumped to me. Obviously, the, the Christological one, very clear. But I kind of like the ecclesiastical one. So, thoughts on that? <laughs> From a literary angle. <laughs> Mike's thinking about it. So the last chunk we'll cover, and I'm not going to read this because it's, it's all of chapter 24, which is really long. Um, we'll give it sort of a quick drive-by shooting. We're not even going to get to the death of Isaac because at that point you're basically in the story of Jacob. It's all about Jacob at that point. Um, so uh, the, key, the key takeaway from, from chapter 24, all that that happens from the the going out, the watering the camels, etc., coming back, putting various bracelets and earrings in her nose, and getting married, 
um, after his mother's death, Isaac is not involved. The very last verse of the chapter um, in Genesis 24, verse 67, uh, finally, Rebekah comes. Then Isaac brought her into his mother's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. He's out of action for this whole, whole scene. The servant gets more, probably more lines than Isaac does, it seems like, almost. I, I didn't do a specific count. Um, and especially the fact that he rehashes the whole thing, like, twice uh, in, in chapter 24. So the first thing is, is Isaac is uninvolved. Um, but that kind of goes back to, to some of the thoughts that we've, we've had on this, is that Isaac is very transitionary, but that doesn't mean he's unimportant. He's still, in addition to being a symbol of Christ uh, in the sacrifice with Abraham, um, he's carrying on the faithfulness that this is a, that God made a promise to a family. And part of that is, is Isaac probably just has heard from Abraham, um, my family's, you know, I'm, I'm going to have descendants like the stars. It's like, okay, well, I'm your only kid, Dad, so we'll see how this goes. And he has a family, and he has two sons. You know, so far, we're up to three descendants, um, which is not great. Uh, but he, he keeps living faithfully. He, he, fought, he accepts his father's instruction. He, uh, he raises his children and, and probably is passing this down to them and living, living faithfully. Um, except for in, in the, the time when he, like Abraham, lies about, lies about Rebecca, lies about his wife to try to make um, people, Abimelech, think that he's actually his sister. Other than that, he, he lives a pretty righteous life until his death. He has his problems with his sons, um, but he doesn't seem to, he, he still, he lives in the land and He's, he's a transitionary character who's still important, that this is passing on to a family. And it eventually gets us to Christ. Any thoughts on that? I know that was really quick. No? Oh, okay. Right. Well, there must have been some aspect of obedience or faithfulness in that. I think it says, I can't remember, it says that he's like 40 or something when he gets Rebecca. But he didn't get the wife until then. And there must have been, you know, ladies around. And the fact that he was obedient and is, you know, like his father took out his life from, I guess, a believing tribe of some sort. I mean, I guess he was planning on living until uh, 90. Uh, how old was Abraham when he died? Very late. Uh, Abraham. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like skipped that. I was like, oh, okay, that's about Abraham. So I have to read that. Andrew. Yeah, I, I think there's a there's a beauty in kind of what we see with Isaac, just the uh, simple, faithful life that we, we overlook when we see these um, stories of, of Abraham and Jacob on either side. But Abraham was a pagan who has this kind of incredible call to family and his home and to go and then, and then Jacob is uh, kind of a rotten individual that we see God's grace and, and continued uh, compassion and love towards 
of the sermon that Matt preached in, in 1 Corinthians on um, 1 Corinthians 7. Um, remind me if you I don't even remember this. Stay as you are. Or I think, yes. Stay in the place you were called. Yes, in the place in which you were called. And, and that's kind of what I visualize. Yeah, he's, like, like Andrew said, he's not flashy. Um, but he, he lives out the life that God has called for him, whether it's being a symbol and almost getting you know, killed, um, to having his, his father make sure he has the right wife, to um, doing his best, doing his best with his kids despite their deceptive behavior of Jacob. Um, and, and, that's, and, and that in itself is kind of beautiful because it, it's part of this tapestry that leads us to not just Christ's birth, but um, the fulfillment of God's promise. Any last thoughts before we close? I think we ought not to overlook, and um, Andrew has basically already mentioned it, but we ought not to overlook the importance of him taking the faith and giving it to another generation. Um, what you see in, in uh, Isaac is that when his son Jacob comes and receives the blessing, language of covenant promise is so strikingly similar to what the Lord gave to Abraham and to what he heard on the Mount of Moriah after that sacrifice with Abraham when God appeared to both of them. Uh, and, and he says to his son, the Lord will give you the blessing of Abraham and make your descendants like the, uh, the sand on the seashore. And, and that's a big thing. Uh, in Psalm 71, uh, a psalm for those who are in their old age, says, O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds, so even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation, and your power to all those who come. That's a pretty good thing, uh, to be able to pass on a legacy of godliness and, and the promises of God to another generation. Um, and I think, back to what Andrew was mentioning, you know, we, we tend to lose these looking for something flashy. Um, the world wants to see something flashy. In the church, those are the people who get remembered and their names get passed down through the history books. Um, but the reason those books are even being written and read is because the legacy of a lot of people who have heard uh, of who Christ is and passed that along to their kids and passed on God's work to another generation. And that's a pretty big deal. Because um, if that was all that, that Isaac did, that's pretty cool. Brian, the Real life accomplishment of Isaac that he mentioned is that he does wells. Mm -hmm. In fact, he does several wells. And they kept having to move because they kept taking away from the wells yeah. that he dug. And just thinking out loud, it kind of goes back to one of the New Testament principles so and so planted, so and so watered, and then someone else brings the harvest. Abraham planted, Isaac watered, Jacob brought forth the harvest. Kind of throw that out there for everyone to see. Tim, what is it? 
well with it, but they're using it in the world of Islam. But then they get chased away from that. Well, they get chased and away because the Philippines or whoever takes yeah. after them up. But it's, it's this idea of leaving, going back to Adam and Sodom, right? Mm -hmm. Going back to the, the faith that his father mentioned, going back to Abraham's faith. So what else? <laughs> <laughs> Close us in prayer.